You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Oh, thank God. Good. Okay. Good afternoon. We're just going to get started in just a little minute here. Okay, so good afternoon and welcome to today's class today as we continue with the story. Okay. <clears throat> Continuing the story of, Ab of Jacob and his wives. Jacob leaving last, last week's Torah reading, Jacob had to leave the home of his parents, being that he was chased down by his brother. He was afraid that his brother might kill him. And therefore, his mother and father suggested that he move to the land of Haran. Haran was where Rebekah's brother lived. <clears throat> and that's where he meets Rachel by the well. He falls in love with Rachel, wants to marry Rachel. However, his father-in-law being the trickster that he was, uh, gave him Leah instead of Rachel, and giving him then the two maidservants as well, but as well cheating him of what he would have to work for, then for seven years, then another seven years, and totally worked from 21 years until he was able to finally, he would be able to um, go and find uh, a place for himself and leave his uncle Laban, and at the end of the Torah reading, finally he goes with his entire family of 10 children and 11 children leaving Laban's home, and heading back to the land of Israel. That's, in short, the synopsis of the entire Torah reading. What we're going to focus on today is the relationship of Rachel and Leah amongst themselves. There were once two big furniture stores that were both big competitors with one another. And the more the competition went on, <clears throat> the stronger the competition went, this one would make a sale, that one would make a sale, until finally one... Uh, furniture store hired this great general manager and he was able to pick up the competition. He was able to that I should go and see maybe maybe we buy out the competition. So the manager meets makes an appointment with the owners of the competitors and says, listen here, we're willing to buy you guys out. They refused. They said you guys are nuts. Here's your chance. We're willing to buy you out. He says, no, we're not going to buy you out. No, so that keeps on going and it's getting worse and the competition is really taking over. And still in all, they said, no, we're not buying out. Finally, the owners of the other store called on the manager and said, listen here, let me tell you what's going on. You see, we're the owners of this store. We also own the other store. We actually created both stores and we don't want that people should know that, they're, that we're owned both because we want the workers in each store to be competitive, come, uh, to be able to do their best, to be able to make the most amount of sales they can. Created the competitive edge within the individual gives them the ability and the enjoyment and satisfaction to be able to be victorious and to be able to know that they're able to overcome it. Part of life, the way God created us, and part of the uh, challenges in life that we have, is that we're always trying to reach higher, or we should always try to reach higher. And the question is, why are we trying to reach higher? Sometimes we want to make more money because the person down the block has a nicer home, a nicer car, a nicer this, a nicer that. 
whether it could be for sometimes materialistic reasons, financial reasons, spiritual reasons. But the bottom line in life is that jealousy, competition, is something which is innate in within the human being. And the question is, why did God make it in such a way that we should have to have this competitive edge? Why did God make it in a way that we have to be jealous of somebody else? And the very fact that we think that we can get rid of this kind of jealousy, it's almost impossible. The very fact that we see the other person's success, we can take it in two ways. Are we looking at the other person's success to our detriment? Or are we looking to the other person's success to, as a motivating factor? And the way we have to view the world and the people around us, or whatever it may be, or the people that seemingly seem more successful than ourselves, in whatever life aspect it may be, whether it's financially, materialistically, spiritually, with children, whatever it may be, is not to look down and frown upon them and therefore say, I want to be like them, but on the contrary, to look at them and make that as a goalpost of where you can be one day and how you can motivate yourself to be able to do better and stronger and achieve more. How does this happen? And this is not just a question of how to get rid of jealousy. It's not that God wants us to get rid of that competitiveness that was within ourselves. On the contrary, he wants us to have that competitive edge. The question is what we do about it and how we react upon it and how we utilize it for the right reason. So therefore, <clears throat> therefore, what we have over here is to be able to understand it and to be get a better picture of what's happening here and how to utilize the attitude of jealousy for the best way. We'll look at what the Torah tells us and how the Torah looks at the concept of jealousy and the stories and the lens of the story of Rachel and Leah. Th through this, we'll be able to understand and appreciate the human psyche of the individual, but even more so be able to appreciate and understand what we can do about it. So let's go back a few thousand years and understand what the commentators talk about our matriarch Leah and Rachel. Who was Rachel? Who was Leah? And let's look at Rachel for a moment. Rachel, we know, is as a person who was she, was a person that was willing to give up anything for her sister. We start off in the Torah reading where, as we mentioned earlier, where Jacob promises he's going to give Rachel to Leah. Laban was a trickster, a liar, to the extent that Jacob came to him and said, how did you lie to me? Even it was against the seven of laws. And over here he came to Laban, and what did Laban do? Laban took Rachel and put Leah instead. And that's what happened. Well, how is that possible? So logically, what happened was Leah and Rachel were identical twins. It was dark at night, and someone to say it was on the eve of Shabbat, and, Leah, and then Laban turned off the lights. This way he shouldn't be able to see what was going on. And he put Leah instead of Rachel. The question is, and according to many commentaries, how did not Yaakov be prepared for such a type of thing? He knew his father-in-law. And the actual truth is that he was prepared. That he gave Leah, Rachel and Leah knew that such a thing might happen. So Rachel actually saw that Leah was crying and was upset about it. And over here, Leah and Rachel exchanged their own different signs and Rachel gave up her opportunity to be with a Jacob just for her sister. But we'll get back to that in just a moment. But the bottom line is we see what happens is Leah marries Jacob. 
Rachel Lee marries later on after a week. But after this whole episode, Rachel does not have any children, while Leah has children. And Rachel's very upset that she doesn't have children. And as Rachel sees she doesn't have children, she cries out to Yaakov and says, what am I worth? Why do I need, why do, what's my purpose of being alive if I can't have children? But there's three words that the Torah says right before it. And Rachel was jealous of her, of her sister. What was he jealous about? Look, my sister has already four kids. I don't got any. It's not fair. Now, there are times that the people are jealous about many different things. And jealousy about children, seemingly, has some legitimacy to it. She's asking God, what's wrong? Why can't I have children? My sister Leah has one, two, three, and I don't have any children. It's not like she's asking for a nicer car, a nicer house, a different husband or something, what it may be. She's asking, I want to have a child as well. But why does the Torah use the terminology and she was jealous? Is that called jealousy that she was upset that she didn't have children? Jealousy is a very harsh word. Jealousy is something which is used when Joseph and his brothers got into a fight and they were jealous of him, they sold him. Jealousy is used when God was upset with the Jewish people. How can we use this type of jealousy, which the Talmud uses a terminology, jealousy drives a person from this world. But to be able to say that Rachel was jealous, in fact, if you want to take it an interesting thing, the Talmud says how terrible jealousy is that it drives a person from this world. If you look at all the sins from the beginning of day, it was all because of jealousy. The snake was jealous of Chava that she's able to stand upright as well, and he wanted Chava. So therefore, what did he do? He made Chava, Eve, sin with the tree of knowledge. Eve was jealous of, of uh, Adam, that he was the first one that was created in God's formation. Therefore, what did she do? She made Adam sin. Adam was jealous because he wanted to be like God, knowing the difference between good and bad, and therefore he ate from the tree of knowledge. And look where we ended up because of jealousy. Death came into the world. So what does jealousy do? Kill people. Take it a step further. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because he was jealous of him. So if you look at every single turn where jealousy was around, jealousy was destructive in its race. So the question over here is, why is Rachel called jealous? She wants children. What does she do wrong? She's known as one of the greatest matriarchs of the Jewish people, but the labeler that she was jealous of her sister. And because of that, the great scholars explained that she wasn't just jealous. It wasn't a bad jealousy, but it was a good jealousy. Rachel was not jealous in a bad way of her sister, but on the contrary. She saw that her sister was somebody that was lucky enough to be blessed with children. So she said, what kind of great things did my sister do? Look how great my sister is. Look what kind of righteous woman she is, that she was able to have children. But even more so, she wanted to know what is the secret of the, her sister, that she is so great that she's not able to not only have one child, but she had four children. Why can't I be as lucky as her? That's what her question was. Just one second, let me get the door.
We're back. Her jealousy wasn't that she was upset in an angry way, but on the contrary. Her jealousy was something is what kind of greatnesses can I learn from her? When can I be like her so I should be able to marry children like her? You know, we talk about jealousy in many different ways. They used to say a story about the second, about the fifth Chabad Rebbe. The fifth Chabad Rebbe was the middle child between his brothers. His older brother was shorter than him. You know what happened? Sometimes the older brother is shorter than the younger brother. And he was very conscious about it. So one time he dug a hole and he told his brother, the middle brother, to go into the hole. As the younger brother went into the hole, he stood on the top and he says, look, now I'm taller than you. The mother that was watching this episode from the window realized that this is a teaching moment. And she said, she called the boys in and she told the older boy and says, you know, in order to be taller, to be greater than somebody, you don't have to put the other person in the hole. You can stand on a chair. You'll also be taller. This moral is simple that we don't have to put somebody down in order to be greater. Mm -hmm. you don't, you're jealous of somebody. You don't have to say that they're a bad person just to be like them. Be like them. Learn from them. And that's exactly what Rachel wanted to do over here. Rachel wanted to learn from Saleya. What was her greatness? That she can also change her mazel. She can also do something that will affect that she should be able to have children. The matriarchs knew that the 12 tribes have to come from them. The question was, who's going to have them? Which one of them? If you have four women, it was going to be three from each. But she saw already that Rileah had four children. That means she was already more than the rest of them. So therefore she asked, what can I do? Another interesting thing you'll find that all the matriarchs had a hay after their name. Sarah, Rebecca, Leah. The only one that didn't was Rachel. Now, by Sarah, God changed her name from Sarai to Sarah, and only then was she able to have a child. Rachel's thinking, and that's what actually the commentaries say, that when she yelled at Yaakov, that she also wants children. So she told Yaakov, pray for me that I should also have some type of mazel to change. What did she do? She took Bilha, her maidservant Bilha. The word Bilha has two hays in it. She says, one for her and one for me, and this way I'll be able to have children. But one of the, one of the ways that we are able to have a child, what is one of the ways that a person is able to change their mazel? Is when a person does something good, as we mentioned, even putting the hay, but doing something good, that changes their mazel. The Talmud tells us of a story about Shmuel. It's brought in the Talmud and the tractate of Shabbos. One of the great Talmudic scholars by the name of Shmuel had a friend of his by the name of Avlet, who was an astrologer. And they weren't standing outside the field. And the astrologer sitting with Shmuel, and he's telling Shmuel, you see that fellow going over there into the field? He's not coming out today. He's going to die on the job. So they come back in the afternoon, but all the workers come back to see if it's true. And he sees that guy who the astrologer said was going to die came back alive. So Shmuel went over to him and he says, tell me, how was your day today? She says, wonderful. He says, how, but what, tell me a little bit about your day. <clears throat> so he says, okay, normal things. He says, but tell me something unique happened today, something different happened today. So he says, yeah, nothing major. But he says, what happens is, when we go out into the field, everybody takes their lunch and puts it into a basket. And then when it comes lunchtime, everybody takes their lunch from the basket. I noticed 
And when we came today, all the people in the field, all the workers put a sandwich inside, but there was one guy that didn't put a sandwich in. Probably because he didn't have any food at home. So I put in two sandwiches like this. When it comes to collecting the sandwich, everybody should be able to have a sandwich. Shmuel said, aha. Now I know what the phrase means, charity saves from death. This person was meant to die, but because he did a mitzvah, it changed his luck, and therefore he stayed alive. The same is very well known with the story of Rachel, the daughter of Rabbi Akiva, that on the day of her wedding that she was supposed to, astrologers said that she was going to die, and they wake up in the morning and, and buy the meal. A poor man came, and she gave a whole meal to a poor man, and then she woke up in the morning, she saw the pin of her uh, garment, of her hat pin, was in the wall, and it killed a snake that was there. Again, they saw that you do something, even though it may be destined for you, A, B, and C to happen, but you can change your mazel. The same thing over here, we want to say that Rachel was looking. What was Rachel was saying, what is she doing? That means that this is dependent on luck. This is dependent on something, the way I behave. What can I do to be like Leah that I can have a child as well? And that's exactly what Rachel's jealousy was about here. And, but the question still stands. Yes, this is nice and explains that why Rachel's jealousy wasn't so harsh. But the question is still, why do we have to use the terminology of jealousy by Rachel? If her whole life was about sharing and caring, her whole life was about for another person, to the extent, as we mentioned <clears throat> before, that when Yaakov was getting married, and he was a thought that he was marrying Rachel. Leah was very concerned by the fact that she said, who's going to marry me? Nobody's going to marry me now if Yaakov marries Rachel. So what did Rachel do? Rachel went and gave the signs, the special secret that Yaakov made with her because he knew that Rachel would trick them and gave it to Leah that Leah shouldn't be married. And because of that, Leah, became out, Leah came out to marry Yaakov I. In fact, the Torah says a little bit later, Ela told us Yaakov Yosef, these are the children of Yaakov Yosef. And the Talmud says that really Yosef should have been the firstborn, because really Rachel should have been the one to marry, Leif, or marry Yaakov first. The only reason why Rachel didn't marry Yaakov first was because Rachel gave away those signs to Leah. And therefore now she was protecting her. In fact, the Medrash goes on to say even further that because this is what Leah, Rachel did, when the Jewish people get exiled from the land of Israel after the first destruction of the Holy Temple by Nebuzaradan, they're going to go out and they're going to stop by the gravesite of Rachel, by our matriarch Rachel, and pray to God that he should protect us. And the sages say, why there? Why not by the cave of the patriarch with Abraham, Isaac, and Ahab? And it says, yes, Abraham is going to go and protest to God. What are you getting so upset about the Jewish people for their idolatry? I brought my son as a sacrifice. God says, okay, lucky you, very nice. But then when Rachel comes to the to God and says, God, I was not jealous of my sister and I gave her my sons. You cannot be jealous of the Jewish people that they went and served idols. And God listens and the God protects over the Jewish people. So we see that because of Rachel, the Jewish people are protected. So we see there's a merit to what Rachel does. We see the beauty of what Rachel. So if we see Rachel is such a great person, again, the question is if so, what was so wrong? Why is it used this terminology that Rachel has this terminology of jealousy? To the extent we see another interesting terminology when it comes about giving up something for yourself. We read about it in the book of Samuel, where David is 
bemoaning the passing of Jonathan. And he uses the terminology, after Jonathan passes away, he uses the terminology, it is bitter to me like a brother. You are a greater friend to me more than the love of women. What is he talking about the love of women? He's in the middle of talking about expressing his eulogy about Jonathan. And some of the, some of the commentaries explain and say that who is the mother of David? King, great-grandmother of King David was Leah. Who is the great-grandmother of, of, uh, of Jonathan? He came from Shaul. was Rachel. Was this, <coughs> from Benjamin, it was Rachel. Over here, King David was telling uh, Jonathan as his eulogy, my love for you, what you gave up, because Jonathan knew that he was going to be king, and he gave up his spot, and he didn't tell his father where he was, that he shouldn't get killed. That giving up is even greater than the love of women, greater than what Rachel did for Leah. That's what he's telling Jonathan. But that means that Rachel, what she did for Leah, was considered the highest level. And over here we're saying that what Jonathan did was even greater. So we see over here again, the concept makes it even stronger, that in Rachel's unique quality, that she was a person who was willing to give up something for somebody else, to the extent that the Jewish people depend on her as a matriarch and everything else, how then do we look at it over here and say, and she was jealous? What does this mean? It seems like a jealousy that she gave up her life, that her sister should be able to have children, and seemingly she's coming out the bad one here. And therefore, we have to turn it a little bit over. And in fact, what the Torah is teaching over here is a very important lesson, that we have to be jealous. What does it mean we have to be jealous? Not only is jealousy cannot counter, not counter to the way we live, but there's a level of jealousy that we have to have. And that is the jealousy of somebody doing something good. When we see somebody doing something good, it should inspire us and waken us and give us an impetus to say, I want to be like that. That means not only should a person say, ah, jealousy, maybe I use it for the right reason. But there has to be a certain element of jealousy within an individual to give them a little bit of pump, a little bit of a momentum, a little bit of impetus that they should be able to do the right thing. Why? Look at Rachel. When Rachel saw that her sister was being successful, she didn't push it off and say, no, she has children. I didn't, God didn't bless me. Da, 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 da. She didn't give excuses. What does she say? What can I do to become better? If I see somebody that's better, where it's all of a sudden created within herself, a desire from becoming feeling like dead to having children. It created a transformation within Rachel. Rachel wasn't a person who was a jealous type of individual. Rachel wasn't a person who was cared to be able to take away from Leah. On the contrary, Rachel saw her sister and she said, what can I learn from my sister? Not to be able to take away from her sister, but to be able to make herself better. She looked at somebody else and said, that person is great and I also want to be great. Not that that person is great and therefore they should be bad, so I should be great. But on the contrary, they should be great and I should be able to be great as well. Which teaches us a very important lesson in our emotions and our feelings. Generally, the human being, because of our emotions, get in the way of many of our feelings. And therefore, when we get angry, our emotions get a hold of us and we say stupid things or do stupid things when we get angry. And we don't allow ourselves to express appropriately. The same thing is also when it comes to jealousy or any other, or bitterness or upset and sadness. 
instead of looking how to rectify, resolve ourselves, we allow our emotions to come inside and make the other person the enemy, the villain, the terrible individual, instead of looking how we can reflect and making ourselves better people. And this is one of the things which is most found when it comes to jealousy. The human being by nature is lazy. So therefore, if I'm lazy and I see somebody else being more successful, what's my first answer to it? Why are they doing better than I am? Because they must be bad, they must be cheating, they must be lying, they must be gossiping. Why? Because I'm jealous of them. And I'm lazy and I don't want to work. So if somebody else is working, it must be that they got a problem. Well, because the problem can't be me. That's what happens where our emotions get involved. And therefore, what we have to remember is that jealousy has this ability to be able to play us in both ways. Play within our emotions to be able to say that my laziness will come out and because of that, I'm not going to be able to behave appropriately. Or am I going to use the jealousy appropriately and make sure that I should be able to come better because of it? The Medrash says something very interesting. If not for jealousy, the world won't be able to stand. A person wouldn't plant a vineyard. A person wouldn't get married. A person wouldn't do anything. Why? Because we're lazy. Why am I getting married? Maybe somebody else will go take that pretty girl. Or maybe somebody else will come. Why does that person happily marry? I also want to be. So therefore, I also get married. Jealousy is a motivator but it should be used in the right way. In fact, for example, it says Abraham was also jealous. He was jealous of Malki Tzedek. Malki Tzedek was the son of Shem. Son of, I'm sorry, Shem. He was the son of Noah. And he asked Noah, the son of Noah, how did you get out of the ark? What was the benefit that you did? Oh, so he said, because we spent a year in the ark taking care of all the animals. We did charity. We took care of other people. Abraham said, yeah, that must be a very good attitude. I'm going to do that as well. And that's when he started having an open house and a tent. He used the jealousy to be able to motivate himself, motivate himself to be able to come better. Another benefit that we have with jealousy is jealousy teaches us not only to get out of our laziness, but also to recognize our talents and recognize our qualities. It teaches us that when we have a burning desire inside, we have an ability to bring it out. If I'm not jealous, if I don't have something inside burning me, say, I want to do it, maybe I'll never cultivate my talent. I'll never look within me, what can I do? But because I see what somebody else can do, I say, one second, I also must have something. You know, the average human being, a normal person, is not jealous of something they can't become. They're not jealous of... Uh, of whatever may be the king of England. Why not? Because they know they're not born to a monarchy, so therefore they're not going to be ever the king of England or the queen of England. What are they jealous of? Their next door neighbor. Why? Because their next door neighbor is a person like them, and that person was more successful, or that person has a nicer car, or a nicer whatever, and therefore they're jealous. This is over here, it's telling us. Jealousy has to align us in telling us to listen in. Know what's missing by you. Know that recognize you have a talent. Don't look in the other guy's pocketbook to be like the other guy. Look what you have in your own pocketbook and be the best you are. But jealousy has the ability to do it because every single one of us has that quality. A fascinating story told about the second Chabad Rebbe, a student of his. His name was Rabbi Yukasiya Lepler. Rabbi Yukasiya Lepler, this Shabbos is the middle of his yard site and birthday, so it's apropos. So the, you can see a Lepler, <clears throat> he was a, he lived in a city called Lepel. That's why it was called, you can see a Lepler. And the way it used to work was that Hasidim, 
afterward, they would spend time by the Rebbe for Yom Tev, for Shabbos. They would then come back to their towns and they would review what they learned, whether it was a Hasidic discourse or the talks that was going on. There was this young kid, really young kid, who would come back every single Shabbos or every Yom Tev from Lobavitch and would come to Lepo and he would review the Hasidic teachings and everybody was amazed and was listening and was just amazed by this young boy. Rabbi Kassia Lepo was an older fellow already and he had no clue what this kid was talking about. And he was so jealous. How is it that this young kid is able to come and review this Hasidic teachings in its full depth for hours? And he understands it. And him, Rabbi Kassia, who's older, has no clue what he's talking about. And he was jealous of this guy. So he took this young kid and he says, I want you to explain it to me. And he sat with him one day and another day and a third day and a fourth day. And he says, I want to understand. And he taught him the whole Hasidic discourse until he finally figured it out. He then went to Lubavitch and went to the middle Rebbe. And he comes to the middle Rebbe and he says, I want to learn. I just, it, all of a sudden I'm ignited. I'm on fire. I want to learn more. The middle Rebbe tells him, there's nothing that stands in the way of willpower. If you really want, you'll learn. Rabbi Kassil decided he's going to stay by the Mithra Rebbe for a few months and just indulge himself in the learnings of Hasidism. After a few short years, Rabbi Kassil Lepler became one of the geniuses of Hasidic ter- uh, uh, philosophy to the extent that the Mithra Rebbe wrote a specific book of one of the most hardest uh, Hasidic discourses for him known as the Inubina. What gave Rabbi Kassil Lepler the energy, the impetus, the excitement to be able to do it was the jealousy. Wanting on its own wouldn't do it. I can want a lot of things. But what's going to give you the fire? What's going to excite you? What's going to motivate you? What's your motivator? Is competition. Is jealousy. This was done only because of jealousy. Rabbi Kassia was able to take something in his head, a status which he believes I'm not able to understand. I cannot learn. And said, you know what, I want to learn. And he was able to push himself and he was able to do it. Even Moses was jealous. Moses was jealous of Aaron. Moses wanted to be the high priest, but Aaron was the high priest. Where do we see this? Where Korach comes along and Korach wanted to make a coup and say, I want to be the high priest. What did Moshe tell him? I also want to be. But guess what? That's not what it works. God didn't choose me. I want to, but therefore I have to find within myself to be something other than that. But God decided he should be the high priest. We even find this when it comes to Jewish law. There's a halach in Jewish law that two schools are allowed to be one next to each other. And the word is because the jealousy of scholars brings more wisdom into the world. Why do we have, and this is a very common debate where people which are against socialized medicine versus insurance paid in pharma and all the big pharma and everything else. Why are there so many sciences in America of new medications and everything coming out? Because there's competition. Who can make more billions of dollars? If people would have no incentive, they wouldn't do it. And therefore they hurt and they work and they do things that they should be able to come about. More ideas. The same thing as well as in Judaism. If the competition is going to benefit the children, that there's going to be more Torah, then the competition's fine. So then where's the problem with jealousy? Where then does jealousy take a person out of this world? So therefore with jealousy there are two important ingredients that are needed to make sure that jealousy is done correctly. Number one, jealousy has to be in things that are important. The moment that you start 
using your jealousy for insignificant and nonsense, that's where it starts taking a person out of the right place. For example, look at Rachel. What was she jealous of? She was jealous she wanted children. And therefore, God blessed her that she was able to have it. But even not on that, the very fact that she was, if the jealousy was only about who's in charge of the house, who gets to be with Yaakov, who gets to be, then it's real useless jealousy. But the jealousy wasn't about who's in charge. The jealousy wasn't which, which woman is going to be the one that's going to be with Yaakov. The jealousy was about, I want to be able to be part of making the 12 tribes. And therefore that her wish was granted. The second ingredient for a kosher jealousy, if you want to call it, or appropriate jealousy, is probably the most important. That jealousy is important when recognizing that you want to be able to become better because of it. When it's about you, not about the other person. Jealousy has to be in a way that I want to be able to reach a higher level. I want to reach greater heights. I want to be able to be more successful. Instead of being jealousy, I want to be like that person. Look at that person and you can see how you can be a better yourself. If jealousy is all about, I want to be like him, I want to be like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and all the other people, then forget about it. That's going to drive you from this world because guess what? You'll never be like them. Jealousy is about seeing those people and saying, now how can I be the best I can be just like they are the best they can be? How can I be more successful? How can I be do more, more accomplished in my way? Every single person, as we spoke about many times, has their objectives and their challenges in this world. Each one of us comes through a, a different array of challenges. But at the same time, each one of us has a different array of objectives that we ought to accomplish. A different one of talents that God gave us. And he gave every single one of us, and us particularly, and not to anybody else. And therefore, our job is to be able to reach the best we can do with the God-given talents that God gave us. And it says in the Yom of the 24th of Cheshman that when it comes to materialistic things, we have to look at somebody who is lower than us and be more grateful and say, look, at least I have that. They don't even have that. But when it comes to spiritual things, we have to be jealous of somebody who is greater than us and say, when can I reach that spiritual height like that person as well? But there's something even deeper that we can come to. Every single one of us, as mentioned, has a, a task that God gave us. The motivating factor can be whatever you want, but the bottom line is that every single one of us has to say, did I accomplish, did I use to my fullest, am I using to my fullest, living my life to the maximum? Or am I just sitting back and waiting for something to fall into my plate? I have to remember that God gave us the ability and jealousy brings within us to live our life to the maximum, to great, to take about the best, to bring about the best that we have within ourselves. Let's think about it this way. Rachel could have said, okay, God said I can't have children. That's the way it is. Let me move on. But she didn't give up. She kept on banging on the table and saying, I want to be able to accomplish. I want to be like my sister. I want to be able to be at the level of my sister. Where do we see this? Something very interesting. And when Leah gives birth, she gives birth to three children, then the fourth child. She says as follows. Why does she call him Yehuda? Now I give thanks to God that I had a fourth child. And then what does the Torah say? And she stopped giving birth. Why did she stop giving birth? What happened? Leah stopped giving birth after four children. 
What happened before she stopped giving birth? She thanked Hashem. The only time she continued to give birth was later on when her son brought home flowers from the field, which were special flowers, which were used for somebody to give birth, right? To be able to make them for infertility. It was given to her. Rachel got upset and said, can I have the flowers? She said, you also want my flowers, so therefore you want to take my husband too? And she said, you know what? You're going to be able to have Yaakov tonight. And because of that, she had another two children. You saw her But what happened here? What's going on over here? She says, thank you. And then she doesn't have children anymore. Just when she says, thank you, you should be wishing she have more children. Why doesn't she have children anymore? And the Ebenezer says an interesting thing. Look at the way Leah spoke about her children or her husband in the first one. She called him Reuven. God saw my suffering. Shimon, God heard my pain. Levi, maybe now my husband will come home and help. And the Talmud explains that Leah said, I got one child. Okay, I got one. Hand. I got a second child. I got a second. Hand. But now my third child, what am I going to do? Who's going to hold this kid? She has three kids under three. Who's going to help her? So she says, Levi, maybe my husband will come home and help me tonight. Because we know that Yaakov worked really hard for 21 years. He never put his head down in a pillow. He was watching Laban's sheep like anything. And that means that was, an, that was with the cost that it came, that he wasn't able to be there for the family. And Leah was upset. She didn't have her family at home. She didn't have her husband to help her. So when she had a fourth child, she had a fourth child. She had already two maid servants, and they had their own children. And therefore she said, what's going on over here? God, thank you very much. I thank Hashem for the four children, but I'm good, God. Let my sisters have some children. I can't handle more than four. So what did God say? You said good. I said good too. And she couldn't have any more children. And therefore, this was considered, so to speak, a sin on Leah's part, where she said, I'm done. Where she came along and said, God, I don't want any more blessings. God said, you don't want any more blessings. I won't give it to you. What is this telling us? A very important lesson. God gives us privileges. You don't have the right to say, I don't want that privilege. You don't have the right to say, I don't want to work. Because the reason why we human beings were put in this world was to work. We have a job to do. Every single day that you're alive is because you have another task to do. In fact, it's an interesting thing you'll find. God tells Adam, gives him a first commandment to have children. True or true, multiply and have children. And then he has three children. Later on, Noah comes out of the ark. God tells him, have children. But he already had three children. I understand Adam, God told him, have children because he didn't have any children yet. But Adam already had children, so why is God? No, I'm sorry, already had children. So why is God coming to him and telling him to have children? And over here, God's telling him something very unique. And it's the same language that's used by Adam as used by Noah. The first child is just as important as the fourth child. Don't think just because I had three, okay, I'm done my job. You had a fourth child? <coughs> you were given the mitzvahs for the fourth child as well. And that fourth child is just as important as one, two, and three. Not only that. Every single child is an entire universe. Every single child encompasses an entire talent and quality that the other doesn't have. And you have to view and see every single person in this world as everything as an entire universe. If this is said about children, how much more so it's said about the general concept of life. God is telling every single one of us, 
The very fact you're alive is because you have a mission that you have to accomplish and nobody else in this world can do it. Every single small action that you do changes the entire universe. And it's not that I can do it for you, only you can do it. Yes, we have sometimes challenges. We're lazy, we don't want to do it. Therefore, God gave within ourselves the psyche, the human psyche gave us the concept of jealousy. That jealousy is the motivator, but not the motivator to put down the other person. Not the motivator to look down at the other person, but to look at the other person's greatnesses and say, how can I be great as well? How can I fulfill my life to its max? How can I bring my life to make it complete? And only then we can be satisfied. Otherwise, you cannot rest. There's no time for resting. As long as we're here, every single one of us is motivated by the concept of jealousy. And when you see somebody that's greater, say, okay, I want to get there. And I want to get higher and higher. Like it says, Sadiqim, they don't have any rest because the higher they go, they realized how much higher they could go. Every single one of us can go higher. We should never be satisfied with the status quo. Just like Rachel wasn't satisfied with her status quo, we should never be satisfied with our status quo and always look to become better, healthier, and closer to Hashem.